0: I have a message for you today titled, I'm Already Dead. And don't even worry about that for a while, because I wanna ask you a question first, and it's this, what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to in your life? The dictionary says devotion is love, loyalty, enthusiasm for an activity or a purpose or a cause. What are you devoted to in your life? Maybe you'd say, I'm devoted to my spouse or my family. I'm devoted to my dog. Anybody devoted to their dog in here? Yeah. Austin is a city of dog devoted people. Maybe you're devoted to your career, devoted to making money, maybe you're devoted to a hobby, playing golf. We're all devoted to things in our lives. A place of common ground for a whole lot of us is our devotion to our sports teams. There are a lot of fan bases represented in the body of Christ. I am, I I did not think that was that funny. Thank you guys, this is gonna be a great service. I am a Colorado-born Colorado sports fan because I believe that you should have direct ties to your teams. There's nothing worse than somebody talking sports It's like, yo, I'm a Yankees fan, I'm a Lakers fan, I'm also a Warriors fan, rooting for the Chiefs because I love Patrick Mahomes. You're like, you're not a sports fan. You're just jumping on the bandwagons of the teams with the most money and the most success. You should have ties to your sports team. Write that down. So as for me and my house, we will root for the Colorado Avalanche, the Denver Nuggets, the Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies in sickness and in health for richer or for poorer, and the CU Buffs, the university in Colorado. Now, we also moved to Austin five years ago, so we've had to reconcile some things. Both of my sons are Austinites. They were born here, so we have roots here, which means we have accepted Austin FC into our family And we will root for the Longhorns. Now, I was really sad to leave Colorado, mainly even more than some people I was leaving to move here because I couldn't go to games and see my teams that I'm devoted to. But I was excited to get to Texas where football is a very big deal. And I knew the Longhorns had quite a fan base and have gotten to go to games, took my four-year-old there. He saw Bevo, thinks Bevo is the coolest thing of all time. And so... uh, I admire this Longhorns fan base here. I think we have some Longhorns in the house today. Longhorns swim team in the house today. And uh, so I root for the Longhorns, but what I've noticed is there's this great fan base in Austin, of course, for the University of Texas, but there's a lot of fan bases, a lot of devoted fans of other teams because this is a transplant city. And there has been another fan base that has really stuck out to me, and it's the Texas A&M Aggies. Exactly. Every service. Preaching for me. The superpower of an Aggie is they can make absolutely any conversation about Texas (laughs) A&M. They can work the fact that they went to Texas A&M into anything. Your name's Ethan? That's crazy. My my roommate freshman year was named Nathan Uh, at A&M. Oh, by the way, did I mention I went to Texas A&M? I'm like, that's really not that crazy. I think you just wanted to tell me that you went to A&M. I love this church, I love the worship, I love Kyle, that super tall guy when he sings, because it just gets me fired up reminding me of Kyle Field, where I used to go to games when I went to a and I don't know if I mentioned that I went to A&M, like, on, tell me all about it, I love that sermon, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples, I'm part of the 12th man at A&M, and I, I love this church, it's a church for the prodigal. I love that story. The father runs to his son and he puts a ring on his finger and I'm an adult that still wears a ring from the college I went to. It speaks to me as an Aggie. An incredibly devoted fan base. I know some of that's the little brother syndrome living in the shadow of the University of Texas. It's a little bit ironic because everybody talks about how awesome College Station is until the day they graduate and they move to Austin, but anyway. I respect all of you Aggies a whole lot because of your devotion. By the way, I told you guys last time I preached that I was at a coffee shop I like to write sermons in and I was about to preach on the devil and they rung my drink up and it was $6.66. And I was like, okay, that's just, I gotta go for this sermon. I'm on the right track. This time, I'm, I'm thinking through this analogy and right as I'm sitting at the table, my buddy Austin walks up the stairs and he sees me and goes, and his Aggie ring literally glistens in the light, and I was like, get over here right now. I'm making fun of you this weekend. (laughs) Then we start talking about the church and the series We the Church, and another pastor that we're friends with, Timmy from Capital Movement Church. We did a worship night with them last year. He walks up the stairs, and I'm like, okay, we're on the right track. This sermon's for somebody in here. Maybe just you Aggies. Because I've been thinking about the Aggies, and if we as Christians, if we had the same devotion to our faith, to the gospel, that Aggies have to Texas A&M, the whole world would have been reached by now. Quite honestly, if just people that went to Texas A&M over the last 100 years were as devoted to Jesus as they are to their university, the whole world would be reached by now. What are you devoted to? If you're wondering about that, trying to think like, what am I devoted to, here's some shortcuts. Look at your Instagram profile. What are the things that you're taking in all the time, devoting your attention to? What are you projecting to the world that you're devoted to on your profile? Fellas, I don't care if you've got a Bible verse in your bio, if every picture on your profile is you without a shirt on, I know what you're devoted to. <laughs> That's for everybody, it's just easy for me to sh- throw shade at the guys because I'm a guy, okay? If you're not a social media person, maybe take a look at your credit card statement. It'll tell you some of the things you're devoted to. What do you devote your resources to, your calendar, your time, what do you devote your time to, your conversation, the words, the things you talk about, what are you devoting your life to? And I wanna ask you this question, are you devoted to Jesus? Not a fan of Jesus, not intrigued by Jesus, are you devoted to Jesus? And I wanna work today not from that dictionary definition of some love and loyalty and enthusiasm because we can be, it's kind of a loose watered down devotion to a lot of different things. I wanna use a biblical definition of devotion today that comes from the Greek word proskartereo that we find in Acts chapter two, the passage we're gonna be in today. It means to attend constantly, persist, persevere and continue steadfast and even to wait upon. I'm so devoted to Jesus that I will wait upon him before rushing out to try to do things myself. I am persisting, I am attending constantly to my relationship with Jesus. This is the devotion that we are called to. We read the story of the early church and we ask this question, how the heck did this happen? How did this happen? You've got the least likely people to start the biggest global movement that has changed human history more than anything else. We're talking uneducated, ordinary, we're talking fishermen, zealots, prostitutes, tax collectors the group that everybody else would have said they were the least likely to withstand the Roman Empire, trying to stop them, and today there are billions of Christians in the world. How did this happen? Well, the first week of the series, Ryan answered with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God working through imperfect people. I'd say it this way, the Holy Spirit with devoted disciples, devoted disciples. The Holy Spirit working in and through imperfect people that were so devoted to Jesus. We find this word devotion at the end of Acts chapter two in the passage we're gonna break down today. In this passage, a lot of the book of Acts is descriptive. It tells a story and we can learn from it. This is prescriptive. This is a blueprint. So let's read it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they go all in on Jesus. What do they do? Well, it says they devoted themselves to a couple different things they're going to attend constantly to a couple things. The first one is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which begs the question, what were were the apostles' teaching? What was that teaching? Well, we can find out because Peter just preached his first sermon right before this in the book of Acts, and right after it, his second sermon. And we can see exactly what they were preaching. Let's recap Acts chapter two. The disciples, they're in the upper room, and then the Holy Spirit shows up, and they're filled And like a wildfire, they go out ready to tell people about Jesus. And the first thing that happens is they start speaking in tongues. Now I know for a lot of people there's some church baggage around that because maybe you've seen it as a spectacle for the sake of a spectacle. In this story, the spectacle is for the sake of preaching the gospel. And so they start speaking, what's happening is they start talking about God in the languages of other nations. And it's not a coincidence that this is happening right here and right now because scripture says that at this time at Pentecost, pilgrims, people from all over the world, from every nation under heaven, have made their way to Jerusalem to worship God, seeking God. These folks from other places are walking in and all of a sudden they hear these guys talking about God but in their language and they're going, how does that fisherman from Galilee know our language? Okay, you have our attention. And people always try to explain away the miraculous, so some people just go, oh, they're just drunk which tells you the reputation of the disciples. They're just drunk. Peter realizes, hey, there's a miracle at work right now and I'm gonna step up and preach the gospel. And he starts with, brothers and sisters, these men are not drunk, it's only 9 a.m. And then he launches into his first sermon where he breaks down, hey, you know our God, you know our story, our history, and that we've been awaiting a Messiah, a savior. He has come and his name is Jesus. And some of you very people in this crowd, you killed him. You put him on a cross, but he's not dead. He is risen. He has eternal life today for you. This is the thesis of Peter's sermon. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is the apostles teaching. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Jesus has made the way. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Great question when you hear the good news of Jesus. Well, what do I do now? Peter replied, replied, repent and be baptized, the Jesus model. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the salvation moment. Hey, if you want Jesus, throw your hand up in the air, let's pray, call on him as Lord, put your faith in Jesus and then let's baptize you and proclaim it publicly that you are a follower of Jesus and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. This is for everybody, for anybody. With many other words, he warned them, hear this, the heart of a pastor, he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Stop putting your faith in the things of this world that can't save you, please. Please hear the good news of Jesus. Please hear the heavenly Father that loves you, that sent his son here to lay his life down for you, to set you free for eternity, who walked out of a tomb with eternal life that he invites you to. Please listen. This is the heart that Peter's preaching with. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The nations come to Jerusalem and hear the gospel and are about to go back out with Jesus. 3,000 people is a lot of people. That's a big church service. If you scale that percentage of 3,000 compared to the world population at that time to today, that's like 80,000 people in one shot today, putting their faith in Jesus, getting baptized. We're lining the river all the way up, right? An incredible move of God. And these, these folks, the church now, they have to attend constantly to the gospel message. They gotta learn it. They they sit with the disciples. Hey, we wanna hear what you have to say because you walked with Jesus. Tell us about what he said. Tell us about what he did. This is why we have to attend to the gospel, the apostles' teaching, every day. Gotta wake up, and before the world starts to speak to you, first listen to God and go, okay, I am founded on Jesus. My life is founded on Jesus, his death, his resurrection for me. I lay my head on my pillow at night, I go to sleep knowing I have the grace of God that he has forgiven me, that he loves me no matter how today went. That God is with me, that he is for me, he is transforming me, he has a life for me to live a mission and a purpose far beyond myself. Gotta attend constantly to the gospel. I wanna make a note here, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It does not say they devoted themselves to the apostles. As human beings, we are so prone to put our faith in other imperfect people. We see this happen early in the church. There's a story in Acts chapter 14 where the apostle Paul and Barnabas, they're in a city called Lystra. And this is a place where Greek mythological religion is, where it's Zeus and all that kind of stuff, the gods. And Paul and Barnabas are sharing the gospel and the Holy Spirit's working through them to the point that the people say the gods have come down to us in human form. And they start trying to make sacrifices of worship to Paul and to Barnabas. And thankfully, Paul has the humility and the self-awareness and the people awareness to go, no, 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 don't do that. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing the good news. We are devoted to the gospel, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He goes, hey, I was murdering Christians a few years ago. You don't wanna put your faith in me. And he's aware of how fickle people are, because look at what happens next. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They come and talk trash about Paul. They stoned Paul. This is the next verse. They were trying to worship him, now they're trying to kill him, and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. I, I hear that part and I'm like, what? They thought he was dead and he's like, I'm good. I'll walk it off, don't worry about me guys, I'll catch up, just gotta get, I just got my wind knocked out of me. Let's go preach the gospel, let's get back in there. Here I am doing squats the other day thinking about calling in sick. <laughs> this story is a warning for us, as all of us, to not put our faith in other imperfect people. Anytime you put your faith in a person whose name is not Jesus Christ, it will not end well. It's also a warning to people that have a platform and have influence, do not let people do that to you because it can be tempting. It can feel good to have people make much of you. But what Paul knows is you can't handle that pressure. You don't want it. Before you know it, they're throwing rocks at you. You grab their hand and you hand it to Jesus. He is the only one worthy of our worship. We see this We see this go down all the time in the church. There's stories, sadly, where a pastor makes a mistake or has some great fall, and a bunch of people lose their faith because of it. And it's painful if somebody that you followed the lead of, heard the teaching of, suddenly something happens and their life doesn't look like what they were preaching, painful. But the question is, if that causes you to lose your faith, then who was your faith in in the first place? Why does an imperfect person being an imperfect person cause you to lose your faith in the one perfect person of Jesus? You followed somebody onto the battlefield and they tripped, so you just stop fighting? You forgot that you follow your king onto the battlefield and he doesn't trip. This is why at this church, we don't have to try really hard, but we make sure you know like, how imperfect we are. I know Doug and Ryan very well. I know myself even better. You do not want to put any faith in us. To be pastors that don't wear capes, normal people. I don't want your faith in me in any bit. I can't handle that pressure, and before I know it, you're throwing rocks at me. Just want to direct you to put your faith in Jesus. That's why they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, not to the apostles. Okay, what else did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to fellowship. We hear fellowship and we think we're all part of the same club, we wear the same merch. Like people who drive Jeeps, we kind of wave to each other like, yeah, we're kind of on the same team, I guess. (laughs) The Greek word for fellowship came from koinonia, koinonos is the root, which means partnership. Partnership. We have linked arms, we are in this together. We are gathering together, devoting ourselves to each other, to fellowship. Because we are the church, we are devoting ourselves to the church. That's what they do, this is why we gather. This is why we do this every single week. We gotta come back together, worship together, hear the teaching from the apostles, the good news of the gospel, and partner with one another. We're not meant to walk this alone. This is why our youth, they gather every Wednesday night now. That's why they just went up to a retreat in Colorado to be with their brothers and sisters to realize I'm not in this alone. I'm walking into my high school with a different purpose living for Jesus, I'm not alone in this, I've got partnership in this. This is why we gather GBB. This is why we love being together, to be reminded that we are partners in the gospel, partners as the church. This is why we have the welcome party. Hey, you came into our house, come into our family room. We'd love to get to know you, call this place home. We live in a time when people are like, yeah, that's my home church. They show up once a month, maybe once a quarter. We gotta devote ourselves to fellowship. Make this your home, not your vacation destination. Week in and week out. We gotta devote ourselves to one another, to partnership. There's such an attitude in so many Christians. I'm cool with Jesus, I'm just not cool with the church. And here's what I would say to that. Jesus is not cool with you not being cool with his church. On his rock, he will build his church. We're in this for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. We are partners in the gospel. To say, I'm cool with Jesus, but I'm not gonna do the church thing, that's not his design. That's not what he has prescribed to you. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So not just gathering with the big crew, but then they're in homes, having meals, breaking bread, growing in their faith. This is why we do groups when I was a college student trying to figure my faith out, Tuesday nights were awesome. 1,000 college students in Boulder worshiping together. But it was Thursday nights when the work got done, when I was in a circle with 10 guys, confessing things, pushing each other, growing together. That's where the work got done, breaking of bread. I talk to people that wanna talk about faith. I and mean, I'm really struggling with my faith right now. And my first question is, whose group are you in? And I get the answer a lot, oh, I'm not in a group. I don't do groups. Guess what I'm gonna prescribe to you? Get in a group. Don't walk this faith journey alone. And don't quit. We gotta devote ourselves to the church. They devoted themselves to the gospel. They devoted themselves to the church through fellowship and breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to prayer. This is the secret weapon of the church. This is where we wage war against the kingdom of hell. To pull people from darkness to light to see the spirit of God move, devoted themselves to prayer. That's why at this church, our prayer team is the foundation of our church and has been since the day that we started. We see so many prayers answered, so many cool things that we get to be a part of because of the prayers that are sown into this place. Scripture says to pray without ceasing. And when I say prayer team, I'm talking about people that are bold enough to say, hey, I'll pray with somebody in the back during worship or after the service. I'll devote myself to logging into the online prayer portal and praying for things that people submit. They reach out to us and ask, what can we be praying for? Praying, devoting themselves to prayer. But the reality is we are all the prayer team. As the church, we are called to be devoted to prayer. So what did the early church do? They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching into fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I'll say it this way, devoted disciples, what do they look like? They're devoted to the gospel, devoted to the church, devoted to prayer. And Today, your practical takeaway may just be, which of those things, the gospel, the church, prayer, what do you need to devote yourself to? For me, prayer. I pray, I don't attend constantly to it. So many times I, I go to me first before I go to God. I gotta attend constantly prayer this is what being devoted looks like so then once they do that this is happening what happens what's the outcome well let's keep reading verse 43 everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles miracles start breaking out the holy spirit starts moving people are getting healed dead people are walking angels are breaking people out of prison crazy stuff the spirit of god moving through imperfect people, and the miraculous happens, all to draw people to the truth of Jesus. This is an outcome. We gotta put this in its proper place because it's very easy for us often to start worshiping the things of God instead of God himself. Jesus is not a means for your miracle. Jesus is your miracle. Jesus is your miracle. And because he loves you, his spirit is here today and healing is here for us. The supernatural, what God can do, it's here for us because he loves us, but when those things break out, it should always lead us back to worship him. I wanna pray for those things, and when I see them happen, that awe that they feel, it drives me to worship Jesus. When I pray for those things and my prayer's not answered, it drives me back still to worship him nonetheless and keep asking. We as Christians can get so obsessed with signs and wonders or end times, a pastor, a personality, spiritual warfare, and start to make that the thing instead of Jesus being the thing, and those things being an outcome of our relationship with him, of us being the church. The awe of the miracles drives so many people to the worship of Jesus. What else happened? All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Radical generosity. We're not talking about convenient giving. We're talking about radical generosity, like people saying, I don't really need that property. I will sell that to feed these people that are family to me. That sounds awesome. We read that and we're like, wow, beautiful. That is so hard to preach in a capitalistic society where everything's mine. I need a little bit more and a little bit more. And this is why we talk about giving every week Not because we're trying to obligate you so we can keep the lights on in a Christian country club. Because we're trying to see the people of God put their money where their mouth is and go build his kingdom with our resources. To experience the joy and freedom of opening your hands with the thing that you hold like this and watch God work in and through you. To pour it all out, to be radically generous. The same reason why we say, hey, if you can't pay for groceries today, take cash out of the baskets, that's the family pot. We didn't make that up, these guys did. This has been the church for 2,000 years. You need something, we'll help you. You need some money, here's some money. Sometimes the answer is, hey, the worst thing I can do is give you money, right now I'm gonna sit down with you, we're gonna make a budget and figure out how you're gonna get a job. If There's a need though, we're gonna try to meet it, we're gonna try to help you, because we're a family. This is why as a whole Red Rock Church every year we give away millions of dollars, invest it into kingdom work in our church, in our city, and in places in the world where we won't see the fruit of our investment until eternity of the church reaching places that it's never been before. We will lead with radical generosity because that's our blueprint, that's who we're called to be. We see radical generosity, we also see radical hospitality. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This passage of Acts chapter two to everyone in our minds when we read it is like an episode of Friends. Everyone's smiling and laughing, they get along, they're dancing in a fountain together having a blast, it's easy. These dinner parties were super awkward. This was not a homogenous group of people who are all on the same page. This isn't tables of people who all look the same and vote the same and act the same and think the same. People from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnic people groups represented, different politics represented, different family life, different prior religious beliefs, ethics, all sitting around a table, unified, because now they're family, they're the church. You see this heart change in the disciples. These were the guys who, when Jesus said, we're going to Samaria, they go, no, we're not. We don't go there. Why? They were racist. Then post-resurrection, the spirit of God moves and starts changing their hearts. And one of their crew goes into Samaria and starts preaching the gospel and it's rooted there and Peter and John, the guys, they rush to Samaria. The very people who said, don't go to Samaria are saying, let's go to Samaria. Why? Because this is for everybody. There's a seat at the table for everyone. Everyone is welcome. These aren't comfortable dinner parties with a bunch of people who are all the same. This is the church being the church, working things out. Loving somebody doesn't mean you agree with them. It it means that you always have a chair for them. You can sit down. This is why we ask you to lead groups, not just be in groups, but lead groups, to model this radical hospitality, to open up your home, open up conversation, show a divided world how to actually turn disagreement into discussion instead of division, to grow together. You open up a group, there's gonna be a whole lot of different Austinites coming into your home. That's a beautiful thing, because we're unified as family with the gospel. That's why we want this place to feel like a home, not a church service. That's why we ask you to serve. That's why we have so many amazing volunteers who make this place feel like home. This is also why we are asking you every week to go to church on Saturday, to be radically hospitable. A new person's gonna come on Sunday morning if they come to church, they're gonna try it out. And that radical hospitality is saying, hey, I'm willing to give my seat up and my routine and my comfort for the sake of somebody else having a place in this family. You look around, there's not much room on a Sunday morning. That's the whole reason we open up Saturday services is to make more room for people to come and hear the gospel, to come and become family. And I know everyone's got their routines and stuff. I just want you to be here ultimately. But this is like when a visitor comes into town and you go, hey, you guys are taking my room. I'll sleep on the couch. I've been in this home for a while. I can be a little uncomfortable. But I want you to feel comfortable and settle in here. I'm gonna give up my spot for you. Radical hospitality. What else is happening? They're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Just praising God. Enjoying the favor of all the people. This is why we worship. This is why we celebrate. This is why we have fun. This is why we laugh. These guys, they're about to be persecuted by the most powerful empire on earth and they're enjoying their time together. They're devoted to experiencing the joy that God has for us, laughing at meals together, smiling. So often, I think people look at Christians and they're like, why would I want what you have? You're miserable. Oh, I've got the joy of the Lord. No, you don't. At least your face doesn't. This is why we have fun and celebrate here. It's why we just praise God and enjoy our time together. So what did the church do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They devoted themselves to the gospel, and to the church, and to prayer, and being redundant on purpose, in hopes that this moves from theory to reality for us, that we might start to look like this church. And being the church, when they do those things, what does it lead to? Miracles, radical generosity, radical hospitality, worship, celebration. Something that the world looks at and goes, what is going on over there? Look at those people. Those people are with those people are with those people with those, but they're all unified together. They're they're not trying to fight, start up a militia. They're just pouring their lives out, sacrificing everything for more people to come to know this Jesus. Can you imagine if the church was unified like that? People look at us a lot and go, man, why would I wanna go be a, a Christian? You guys can't even get along with each other. They saw this radical move and said, I wanna go sit at that table and find out what those people have. And all of this, all of it, for this purpose, the last line, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, daily. People are coming out of the woodwork to come and meet Jesus. Eternities changed. People finding out the good news of the gospel through the church being the church. I want that, I don't know about you. We are seeing these things happening, it's awesome. I'm not content here a couple years in as a church. There is so much more for us, we're not done. We are just getting started. I wanna see these things in this city, through this church. But I think that so often we read this and it sounds like a fairy tale. And if I'm honest, I think the reason that it feels that way to the church so often is because they were so fully devoted to Jesus and we're just not. We just let our devotion be stolen by a million other things. We don't attend constantly to Jesus and what he's called us to, what eternity means, what he's done for us, who he is. I wanna live a life so devoted to Jesus that then everything else falls in line with that, all my other devotions. Okay, so I'm so devoted to Jesus that I'm gonna love my wife and lay my life down for her because Jesus has called me to be that husband and I'm devoted to him. I'm gonna sacrifice for my kids. I want my boys to know a loving father because I'm so devoted to my heavenly father and that's who he's called me to be as their dad. I'm devoted to my crew. I'm devoted to you, the church. I'm devoted to being this together with imperfections and differences, I'm devoted to it because Jesus has called me to be his church and I'm so devoted to him. I'm devoted to living a life of radical generosity and radical hospitality, devoted to prayer, to constantly attending to the spirit at work, to see God move in mighty ways. I'm devoted to this because I'm so devoted to Jesus. And I'm so inspired by the early church and their devotion. One of my favorite passages in scripture is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul's writing a letter to a church, and he's going through it, and they're going through it, and he opens up talking about comfort and suffering, and he opens up about himself and how he's feeling right now. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is how hard it is. That verse, verse nine, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened. The purpose of us reaching that point was that so we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It reminds me of a quote from James Bond, The World Is Not Enough. You can't kill me, I'm already dead. That's what Paul's saying. You can't kill me, I'm already dead. He wrote, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. My old life, my way, things being about me, my sin, my shame, that is dead. That is at the foot of the cross. And Christ lives in me now. You can't kill me, I'm already dead. To live as Christ, to die is gain. What are you gonna do with these guys? They can't be stopped. God's gonna deliver us, he's gonna deliver us. At some point he will deliver us and it's gonna be into eternity. They are living out the other side of a death sentence with the reality that they have an eternal life sentence. We're playing with house money. Only one thing matters now, people knowing Jesus, the Lord adding to our number, more and more people coming to be saved by the work of Jesus Christ. That's it. And they give everything for it. Paul was beheaded in Rome Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified. James was beheaded. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was skinned and beheaded. Matthew was stabbed to death. James was stoned and clubbed. Thaddeus was clubbed and chopped up. Simon was sawed into pieces. Matthias was burned alive. I've realized this weekend, I've just ruined the end of The Chosen for everybody. (laughs) They gave everything including their lives, but guess what? You can't kill them, they're already dead. Even Doubting Thomas. If there's one guy that would have stayed on the fringes, you think it probably would have been him. And there's some great stand-up bits about Doubting Thomas, how he's just like, I've got a couple questions about this, and everyone's like, Doubting Thomas? It's like, this has never happened before. I just have some valid questions. Doubting Thomas, we can all relate to him, because it's like, this is crazy. To put my whole life on the resurrection of Jesus, but he has his moment with Jesus, and he ends up planting the church in what is now modern day Southern India. And he's speared to death there, gives his life up. I've had the chance to go to India with some ministries and see the church in a very different context, see the legacy of Doubting Thomas. And I was on a trip with a buddy of mine who has a ministry that's planting churches in places it's never been before, caring for the orphan and the widow, they're rescuing kids off the streets, like just incredible work. And we got invited to go out to a church for their baptism service. So we showed up and I had a camera and got to showcase and see what was happening here. And it's very blurry on purpose for the sake of the people that were getting baptized because what I learned as we were driving there is to get baptized, especially in these hostile parts of Northern India is taking on a death sentence. You can be killed for your faith today, 2023. And maybe if you're not killed You're gonna be excommunicated by family and friends, cast out of communities, you can lose your rights. An incredibly hostile environment where it takes some bold devotion to proclaim your faith in Jesus. And yet I stood there in person after person after person sharing their story, crying, laughing, celebrating, saying I was living a life chained to a religion that was telling me that the gods were gonna rule on me and my family, and if I didn't do things right, the karma that was deserved to me, I was doomed. Other people saying, well, I'm not gonna help that person because that's their karma, that's, that's the life that I lived in, until somebody bravely came and told me, actually, the one true God loves you, sent his son Jesus here for you, and salvation is not on your shoulders, he took it on his on the cross. And now that I know that, what else am I gonna do from here? but tell everybody, everybody that's in chains, I'm gonna go set them free with the truth of Jesus Christ. Person after person, and they had this look in their eye coming out of the water, you can't kill me, I'm already dead. What are you gonna throw at me? What's the worst that can happen? I'm now serving an eternal life sentence with Jesus. So only one thing matters from here, and it's people knowing what I now know. Devoted to the gospel, devoted to being the church, devoted to prayer, and we went and we worshiped after this in the church and we were celebrating and then I noticed that my buddy who runs the ministry got pulled outside and there was a conversation happening. And when the service wrapped up, they quickly were like, hey, we're going up the street to the pastor's house, let's go. And we sat in what was one of the most tense, probably the most tense lunch of my life when we found out that there was a member of essentially the FBI there who made his way to that service and had some questions, and went back to report to his superior. And so we're sitting in this pastor's house like, okay, what's gonna happen? And I figured for me, i probably, as a witness of this, I'll probably get put on a plane and sent home. My question was, what's gonna happen to these people that live here? And yet I watched them all breaking bread together and celebrating what God had done, praying for an opportunity to share the gospel with the FBI there. You can't kill me, I'm already dead. I just proclaimed it to everybody. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he lives in me. I'm looking at that way. Like, what are you gonna do to these people? Of course the church is spreading like wildfire. And I was sitting there, so inspired, sitting with one of the pastors and I was just going on and on. Like, I, I just, I, I can't believe the faith and the devotion that I'm seeing here. I'm so amazed, start to play the comparison game of like, I'm so soft, so weak in my faith. Like I live in a place that I'm free to worship and I'm timid with the good news of Jesus. And, he kind of stopped me. It's like that's not going to get you anywhere. Comparison is not the point. Inspiration is. From my brothers and sisters, taking a page out of their book, and I said to him, I was like, "But this makes sense because this is your legacy." Like doubting Thomas, he came here and he he was speared to death for this whole thing. So of course you guys are all in. And he goes, "Hey, that's not my legacy. That's our legacy. Same church." We may not live in the same country, but we're the same church, we have the same call to be devoted disciples, whatever the cost. And thankfully there was a doctor who was friends with someone, with someone, with someone, and we ended up okay for that day. But they live under that constant pressure, and that night they were back out singing and dancing and breaking bread together and celebrating. And I flew home from that trip just so inspired. Like, okay, I'm not gonna play the comparison game, I'm just gonna be inspired by my brothers and sisters. Because regardless of what country you live in, you know what every country in the world needs? Devoted disciples with the Holy Spirit working through them so the gospel can be preached. This is a critical moment for the church in the West to wake up, to take a page out of their book, take a page out of the Acts 2 church, take this prescription and go live it out so that people can be added to our number Daily. This is our call. This is our invitation, and the good news is, you can't kill us, we're already dead. Would you guys stand to your feet if you're able? May we be that church in Austin. So radically generous, so radically hospitable, miracles breaking out, prayers being answered, worship and celebration and fun and joy? Would people look at us and say, look at the unity of those people. What do they have? May we be Aggies for the gospel. Would it ooze out of us? Like the disciples said, when they get brought before the Sanhedrin, when they're arrested and told, we're gonna kill you if you don't stop talking about this, they say, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. We know Jesus. So do what you have to do, but you can't kill us because we're already dead. May we be a church like that, with that kind of devotion. And because of our devotion, letting the Holy Spirit work through us, may the Lord add to our number daily those who are being saved, amen? Jesus, we thank you that we get to be your church. I pray for supernatural devotion. Holy Spirit, would you move in us to attend constantly to you. Lead us to be devoted to the gospel, to the church, to prayer, to be your church, to celebrate your favor and see more and more people come to know you, Jesus. We thank you that because of you, we have an eternal life sentence We get to live with you in eternity. Would we realize that and live it today? In Jesus' name, amen.